Listener Production. Shares. Market. The S&P. The ISX. Stocks. This is the Motley Fool Money Mailbag. Welcome to Motley Fool Money. Yep, our special, special, special Sunday Mailbag Edition. I'm Scott Phillips, the Motley Fool's Chief Investment Officer, and I'm joined by Managing Director, Founder, and, at his insistence, Chief Cook and Bottle Washer of Strawman.com, Andrew Page. How are you, mate? It takes up most of my time, the bottle washing and the cooking, <laughs> I can tell you. So, That's yeah, important. I'm good, mate. How are you? If you don't clean out, if you don't clean out the bottles, mate, then they get bacteria in them. You've got to make sure the bottles are sterilised. Rule number one. I have brewed my own beer in the past, so I know all about sterilising bottles. Can I tell you, one of my, one of my great regrets is my old man's uh, unfortunately no longer with us and he took his homebrew recipes with him. So I, oh. I, I don't, I know. I found a super old one that mum had somewhere, which I'm sure was like a, you know, generation one recipe of, frankly, he brewed a lot of beer. We had, uh, I know you're not supposed to take milk crates, but he had, I want to say about 20 milk crates in the, in the garage. <laughs> and he'd, kind of, he'd rotate the beer. So he'd brew it, then he'd leave it sitting there and he'd kind of, yeah, first in, first out, he'd rotate the stock. It was, a, it was an operation. It's, a, it's uh, a science. It is. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I, I'll get some tips from you. Uh, mm-hmm. Mate, well, this is not the home, home brew show. Should we do a home brew? No, we don't do a home no, brew. No, 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 no. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be good excuse for a drink though, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not sure how well it goes on a podcast. Oh, nice beer. Anyway, uh, maybe, maybe that's our after. Maybe, what do you, what do you reckon multiple money after dark? Do you reckon it's got I, legs? I just, I just think it's probably, if we look, there's probably about 4,000 different individual homebrew podcasts that are out there and it's going to be hard carving out a niche or a niche, is as there, the Americans say. Exactly. Is there a hobbyist bigger than the homebrew hobby? I, can't, I, I don't know what else there would be, but homebrew, homebrew hobbyists are a, are a special group of people, right? <laughs> is there a big, is there a big yeah. what else would there be more podcasts on? They're like kind of home hobby things. Oh, geez, I don't know. Hey, this is the beauty of these kinds of platforms. That you, you can go right. as niche as you like and there's always something. There's something on anything that you can conceive of. And if there isn't, you should create a podcast on that because that, that niche will probably be filled pretty quickly. What you're saying is two random schmucks can just start a podcast and chat to themselves for an hour a week on something like well, this. Well, we're, we're proof positive <laughs> that it doesn't doesn't take a lot of <laughs> talent or, or charisma or any of those. Thank, any of thank the God. Thank yeah. God. Uh, I, I do wonder why people listen, but I, I, you know what? If, if, this is, if this is as bad as your week gets, then well done. Maybe, <laughs> maybe we're here to give everyone else a baseline. I'm not entirely sure. <laughs> anyway, let's move on, mate. Let's answer uh, some, some questions. <laughs> yeah, let's do that. Much more interesting than our rambling. All right, here we go. One from Lucas. Hi, Scott. I love the podcast. I'm a regular, regular listener of all three each week. Man, that's well done. Thanks, Lucas. My qu- Well, you should be four, Lucas. What about the good oil? Mate, come on. Help me out here. I've got to mention it at least a couple of times an episode. It's contractual. No, it's not really, but it's, it's ego, really. Anyway, he says, my question for the mailbag is simply, how do you and Andrew find new companies to invest in? And then he says, opportunity for free plug for share advisor, of which I'm a member. Thank you. I appreciate it, Lucas. And I, I'm going I'm to speculate. Andrew might mention Strawman once or twice in this answer, but I will ask, I'll ask him first. Um, Strawman, what is Strawman though? Before we do that, just to make we sure we are a private out. investment club and you know damn well Boring. what we are, my friend. Well, you, know, you know very well what we are. <laughs> you give me a grip. I'll give you a free plug here, dude. Be, be kind. All right. <laughs> uh, let's, let's, let's start. Other than strawman.com, how do you find new ideas to invest in, mate? So there's... there's it is a thorny problem because there are 2,000-something stocks on the ASX. Mm-hmm. And, well, historically, statistically, most of them are rubbish. Like, you just know, <laughs> you look over any period of time. We mentioned this in, in the on Friday's podcast. You know, most yeah. of the gains from the market, quote-unquote the market, is driven by a very small subset of, of companies. So yeah. it's hard. And as I've always said, you know, you have mm. to be – unashamedly um, biased when it comes to your portfolio, right? You yeah. want to have – you probably don't want more than 15 or 20 companies in there because it gives you right. all the benefits of diversification. And then it's just right. about finding the best 15, 20 companies you can on the market. Mm-hmm. Um so there's plenty of great – well, not I wouldn't say – there's plenty of very decent, respectable companies. I'm happy just not to go near, not because there's anything wrong with them, just because I think <laughs> there's better. And I've heard people mention it in the past, it's like managing a football team. Uh, you oh, know, oh you, I like that. Yeah, you just want to you just want to put your best players on the pitch at any one. Nice. That, that, that list will change, and the rest. Of it. So anyway, this is all just a big run up to sort of say that yeah, <laughs> you want to be very fussy, and it's yep. and and if you are going to be very fussy, it's, there's a lot of stuff to go through. So yeah. some people will advocate things like stock screening tools, mm-hmm. and they're they're a dime a dozen. They're out there. You just sort of say, show me a company with a market cap more than this, and a dividend yield more than that, and whatever mm-hmm. whatever thousands of metrics you want to uh, <laughs> throw at it. And that's it's actually a really great tool because it just gets if you. Say, look, I'm not interested in gold miners. What you just 
filter them all out. Yeah. So it, it reduces yeah. that shortlist really, really, really easily. Yeah. The trouble with these filters is that there's, I, as I've gotten older and um, a bit more experienced with investing, the more yeah. I'm realizing that the real, the real wisdom is found in all in in a lot of the intangible. It's really found in the subjective in a lot of ways. So there's right. plenty of companies out there that might have really really high debt, but it's absolutely appropriate for their business model and is perfectly fine. There's companies out there that might have very low return on equities, but that's uh, characteristic of an anomalous one-off accounting treatment in a particular year. Blah 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 blah. I so said yeah, th- these fundamental yeah. ratios are really great, but they do hide a lot of context and a lot of detail behind it. So I think you you'll often find some really great companies that way but you will also miss a lot so as as i've gotten older i actually find that it is it is just a lot of reading if i well, mm. the, the great thing with this game is the more that you do it the more you sort of build up a knowledge base so i don't have to look at some companies again from scratch because i've already i'm already broadly familiar with them yeah. um and you can build even if it's a different company you might be familiar i've done some work in that sector or that industry before so it all builds on itself but these days it's mm. just a lot of reading oh what does this company do oh that's interesting i wonder if they're they're making any money oh they are oh, are they making any more than last year oh they're growing really really well what's mm. their balance sheet like and you just sort of go through the process and, and you you get to be quicker and quicker and quicker at it and really a, your job as an investor is to say no so you want it to be a quick process so you can go nah 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 um, it's yeah. a very exceptional company that has to be let into your your, your illustrious sort of um, team that you're going to field but that's how yeah. I do it I don't think you need to be super advanced I just think you need to be well read and 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 put the time in Obviously, sign up to Motley Fool and uh, and Stroming because that's, <laughs> exactly. that's what we're in the business of Clearly. doing. Right? Clearly, we, we 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 put ideas <laughs> out there, but but take own those yeah. ideas. You know, get yeah. into yeah. them, understand them for yourself, and yeah. and. Um, Unfortunately, with all of this stuff, there's no. It'd be lovely just to have a bit of software or press a button and just sort of like spat it all out. But mm. it's just, it's just not that easy. And and mm. if ever it gets that easy and it works, we're all in trouble because we'll all just get exactly the, the same return because everything's perfectly known and priced in. So I'm going to ask you the same question again. If you were not you, but Lucas, and you were getting started. Can you can you kind of take your own mind back the forty? Oh yeah, okay, years yeah, okay. Sorry, sorry, investing? sorry, no, sorry. Yeah, um, no, no, no. It's, it's all about me, question. mate. It's all about me. It's, no, totally. No, but I, I'm not through my. You lens. answered the right question because that's what you were asked. I, I'm I'm just I'm going to ask you a different question, which is just if you didn't know what you knew now, you know the, the as you say, what I love about investing, frankly, Ben, an old bloke, is the benefit of accumulated knowledge. Right to your mm. point, mm. we we can draw on twenty years plus of heuristics and lessons and uh, pattern recognition. Mm. that I didn't have as a 21-year-old or a 23-year-old when I, when I bought my first stock, right? And yeah. frankly, I made a lot of mistakes. Yeah. I, I'm, I don't know what I'm going to say. I'm, I'm asking you to answer another question so I can think about it while I do. But mm. if, you were, if you were Lucas and you were like, okay, I got my first thousand bucks. Yeah. Now, where do I Where do it? I start? Okay, great question. Great question. I would actually go back a step from there as well. And I'd sort of okay. say, well, what am I looking for? I mean, right. how, 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 before you start looking, you, you, I mean, it sounds really obvious, but you have to know what mm, you're mm, looking mm. for. Yeah, true. Um, and, and specifically, I'm talking about, well, what, what are some of the characteristics you want? Are you someone who is really keen on getting great dividends? Are you yeah, someone yeah. who's really interested in fast growth? Are you yeah. someone who has a particular uh, inside advantage because you've worked in a particular industry? <laughs> um, or even go back a step further and ask yourself, well, what are the yeah. kind of characteristics I should be looking for? Is, I guess yeah, things like reliability of earnings is a good thing and, mm-hmm. you know, not, not, not too much debt. That's probably a nice thing as well. Um, geez, I guess I probably want, a, if I'm going to buy a part stake in a business, I, I guess I want the people running it to be pretty honest and capable. Mm. Um, here's the big one. Do I understand what the hell they do. And, and that, that yeah. sounds really yeah. condescending, but I, I'll put my hand up. There's plenty of stocks that come across mm-hmm. my desk. I just, I just don't get it. I do not get I can, I can, I can, I can uh, you know, say a phrase that, oh, they, they work in, I don't know, the m- m- machine language for breast density imaging or something like that. But do I really understand how that works as a business model? Right, right, right. And right. how do they actually, who are their customers? Yes. Who do they sell to? What are the levers of growth here? What can I have, assuming I've got any ability to grasp exactly what they do and some kind of insight in, into how that business works, have I got any any lens on what that might look like in the future and how that's going to unfold? Like really, I, the thing I love about investing is that you can just always draw it back to first principles. You can always draw it back to the to, to the basics. Um, 
and just keep it ask ask the questions that feel simple ask the questions that that the professionals are too embarrassed to ask because they feel as though they should you, just, right. you should know that type thing yeah, yeah. Um, I've been I've been in many of like shows and other things with other people and there's just lots of big words used and I just and I've been in a host situation number of times you kind to press on some of those things and just yeah. like you feel yeah. you don't know what you're talking about like yeah. I don't either but clearly you don't grasp that there is there is something elegant I find with with simplicity and when I like that a lot. I, I've always said with investing there's no extra points for degree of difficulty here and mm-hmm. I probably stole that a few at some point you did yeah uh, okay. uh, but it's it. a great I probably, I probably thought it was someone else so it's all good <laughs> it's a great it's a great saying though you know so I, I'm just not I'm not I'm not um yeah Einstein I, I need yep. things that I can wrap my brain around I understand mm-hmm. what the, I feel as though I could have a reasonably cogent half intelligent conversation with the CEO if we were at a barbecue and I was saying hey what's yeah. how's business going what what are you up to yeah. um, I feel as though that's a really really great filter and I guess I'm, I've really walked back from the original question but that's it just keep going mm, that's good but why yeah, that's good. Yep. but why yep, yep. But why? And you just keep going back. Now, a lot of the, no, most of the time, you'll hit these roadblocks. So it just starts to get beyond me, and that's fine. Chuck it in the bin and yep. and, and and keep looking. It's yep. if it sounds like what I'm saying to answer this question is very work heavy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it is. Um, yeah. It but, is. Yep. Yep. but but it's but it's. I, I think it's also fascinating. I think for the intellectually curious, mm-hmm. it's it's actually really great because it goes beyond just the share market. I mean, these are businesses operating in society. It's fascinating some of the technologies that they're working with. And and if you are listening to this and going, oh my god, I would rather watch paint dry. Actually, mm-hmm. totally respect that point of view. That's cool too. Buy an ETF, right? Like you, you're, you're cool. But if you are the person who said, no, I want to be a stock picker, I want to pick stocks. Um, well, make sure you enjoy that because otherwise, you're just setting yourself up for an exercise yeah, exactly. in frustration and pain. Yeah. Um, and then if you do, you, you you'll find that it isn't actually too much work. It's actually yeah, enjoyable right. and. Um, and as you said before, you, you just you accumulate and build and compound all of that knowledge, and so it becomes quicker and quicker and quicker. But unfortunately, there's there's no there's no shortcuts. So try and stand on the shoulders of giants. You know, subscribe to Motley yep. Fool Share Advisor. The, you know, you might not agree with everything. You might not understand some of the things there, but at least you know that you're getting. I, I'd love always called it a target rich environment. You're going to make plenty of mistakes, <laughs> but there's going to be plenty of good ones in there too. Is that from uh, playing too many um, airplane computer games as a kid? I've, as a Tiger kid, as a, last nah. weekend. Do you mean? I've, I've seen. I've seen your gaming rig. Uh, I, know, I know you're still. Uh, when you pretend oh. you're in there building the strawman business, I'm not entirely sure you're not. I may have a chat with your, your lovely wife. Someone's keeping the universe sure safe one day at a time, my friend. <laughs> I'm not going to add anything to what you said, mate. You've done a great job, with the exception of simply saying, uh, "I'm going to rep- just repeat your point about keeping it simple." Lucas, start with start with stuff you really know well, and honestly, don't try and hit it out of the park early. Um, start accumulating knowledge. So I would actually, mate, if it was me, start with stuff you know better than the other stuff. Know you're going to make mistakes. Commit to keep going um, and just just press on. Whenever you make a mistake, learn from it. You will make plenty. Andrew still makes plenty. I still make even more. Um, mm-hmm. Just just keep learning. Yeah. All right. I mean, you, everyone understands how Woolies works, right? You know, yes, exactly. it, 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 there's there's a spectrum out there, and, and some some stuff is 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 more uh, easy to wrap your head around than others. A question from a regular correspondent, one of my favourites simply because of his chosen screen name, which is Rick Disneck, uh, which I mentioned before for those who are 12th Man fans back from when I was a kid, uh, you will appreciate the, the screen name. I'm sure it's not his actual name, but uh, Rick, thank you. He just simply says, Hi, Scott. I'm listening to the last Sunday's podcast and the comments about Blackmores. Do you think a lack of cold and flu season due to COVID has also affected local sales? And I just asked the question, the answer is yes. Um, and I just raised it because Rick made a really good point, something I didn't mention last week. Um, Blackmores does a really booming cold and flu business. Mm. And there's no cold and flu because we're all stuck inside. I, can I tell you, I had the healthiest winter I've ever had. I know yeah. plenty of people cook with COVID. And I, don't, I don't mean that to, you know, almost as a bit callous to say, say it, but the reality, we were inside, my son, my wife, like we, we, were, we had the healthiest 12 months we've ever had <laughs> just because we weren't mixing with people, which is mm. weird in itself. Um, I'm not sure I'd choose it. I happily take a couple of colds to be able to go and have a beer or two and go mm. and watch a footy or something. But um, yeah, I, I do think it has an impact. I don't think it's the major impact. I think the Daigu sales are the biggest part. But absolutely, yeah, people simply weren't buying as much. I'm sure it probably COVID actually helped as well because people were interested in, in taking more vitamins to try and prevent getting crook is probably part of it or called it boost their immune system or whatever else they, they think blackboards can be used for is, is useful. Um, so I'm sure it's a bit of both, but yeah, I'm, I'm sure that's right, Rick. Do um, black, does Blackmores sell um, horse dewormer tablets? <laughs> <laughs> well, while we're talking gonna, about COVID cures, I was going to say if not, they should, but I don't actually want to say that. It's, uh, <laughs> oh, can I tell you? It, it drives me. Um, I, I'm. Oh, here you go. Just, just, just for the sake of, I lured you in there, didn't I? Yeah. Just for the sake of offending at least a few of our listeners. Um, apparently, the Craig Kelly texts actually linked to a fake website. 
with debunked <laughs> evidence, if you can believe that. So oh, there you fantastic. go. Fantastic. Uh, don't take horse tablets, people. Go, go and talk to your doctor, and if they recommend it, get vaccinated. All right, Jonathan says, I'm just listening to Friday's podcast. This is last Friday's. The unluckiest bastard in the world theory, which I, I said, you know, if you bought, only bought at the top, you'd be the unluckiest bastard in the world. The unluckiest bastard in the world theory has been broken down by Brandon from the Young Investors podcast. Some data I think people would love and maybe a potential special guest for us kids. Thank you, Jonathan, you smug so-and-so. Uh, just because you're young, mate, don't rub my face in it. Um, he says, apparently 77% gain over 20 years or 3.1% per annum if you only invest at every market peak before a crash. Not great, but still better than you'd think. So there you go. Nice work, Brandon. I don't know that podcast. I'll check it out. Um, I just thought that was kind of cool. So, you know, I said, look, if you bought at the top, yeah. then of course, you know, only looking at the top is a waste of time because you can invest and you should be investing regularly through all market cycles. Um, but uh, Jonathan just sharing that Brandon's done the work and apparently it's a 3.1% gain per annum even if you bought at the top. So there you go. That's a, that's still a, that's still it's a reminder that uh, even the unluckiest bastard in the world can make money investing. Yeah, yeah. That time time heals all wounds. There's this great yeah. chart. There's a couple of great charts that prove the point. There's one. It's a really nice one. And it, what it does is it plots the variation in in returns on the market over every one year period since day dot. So mm. you know, you can go all the way back to the Melbourne Exchange in 1905 or something. And you get like on one year, I think it was sixty percent was the best return. On one year, it was you know fifty percent down or something like that. So there's this huge mm-hmm. bar. And then they go to three. So the next the next thing on the chart is a three year period. So let's look at every three year window over that exact same time frame. There's less of them, mm-hmm. uh, but 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 there's um, but they're longer. Those bars shrink. So it does, you don't get as as good a return at the top, but not at the bottom. And anyway, you you continue along with that exercise. Once yep. you get to 10 years, and if you're factoring in dividends, as you rightly should, there's actually mm-hmm. no negative period in history for mm-hmm. the Australian mm-hmm. share market. So it's, in other words, it was impossible. You could go back in a time machine and it's impossible to lose money. On, on, at a mm-hmm. broad index level, it's definitely stocks that are exception to the rule there. And adjusting for dividends, it's, it is just a very, very, very powerful thing. And, and I've, I've often said too, it is your greatest advantage, I think, as a retail investor in this hyper-competitive world that we now live in, um, when all of the, the money and infrastructure and assets and resources mm. are going sort of into those shorter-term endeavours, that is, that is where your edge lies. And that's why you should be focused there anyway. It's just, it's just really hard to go wrong. There you go. Nicely done. Mate, uh, I have to take you to task on okay. David's behalf. Oh, no. David, David asked a question, which I don't, think it's a, I don't think it's a question. I think it's a statement. But he poses it with a question mark, so I'll ask it appropriately. Why do people think that Mr. Pennybags from the Monopoly game, why do they think he... What's, I know what he's going to say. A monocle? I know. I've had 10 he people He does not have any out. eyewear, yeah. says David. Slap Ram Page into yeah. consciousness. Yeah. He's a virtual slap from me to you via David Ram. You've, uh, you've, I don't know why you think he has a monocle. I probably agree with you at the time, but given he's pointed you out as the problem maker, uh, the problem maker, I'm going to stick with David. So it's I, a great, it's a great point, Jason. It's I think they've actually someone David mentioned it was. they've done. Sorry, they've and they've done they've done some um, studies uh, on it, and it's it is one of those things uh, uh, that everyone assumes he has, money and he doesn't, and they don't know where it brilliant? comes. From. So I've actually had a bunch of people go, Ah, did you know? So now I now I know. Apologies, apologies for that. No monocle. There you go. It's all good. It's all good. All right, here we go. Now we get to the questions. Oh, oh dear, no, I. We've talked about this before. This is from Matt. This question is aimed for you, Scott. Oh dear. I really enjoy your thoughts on investing, but you know, you know, it's always nice when people give you a compliment before telling you you're an idiot, isn't it? But I still haven't understood your view on ethical investing. All right. Firstly, I used to think that big business on the stock market focused too much on profits, which led them to do unethical things like destroy the environment or pay people too little, unless you're a CEO. Uh, however, when I found out, that was my, my uh, brackets, not his. However, when I found out about ethical ETFs, I realized I could invest in a way that met my views. Without ethical ETFs, I would be left with picking single stocks for my whole portfolio, which I don't have the time nor expertise to do. I know you hate greenwashing and so do I. The first ethical fund I found had Rio Tinto as a holding not <laughs> long after that. Is that Duke and Gorge? Duke and, oh, Duke and Gorge? What a tragedy. Cave incident. Mm. So I steered clear of that. Also, I know you said that people would be better off investing normally and donating the money, but that does not sound like a good way to compound wealth. And I don't want anything to do with Exxon. Anyway, in your view, if someone has done the research, was happy with the holdings of ETF so they can sleep at night and it helped them get into the market, is that not worth paying 0.59% in fees? I hope this question isn't too long for your show and I look forward to hearing your response. Regards, Matt. Uh, Matt, if 
so the answer is, um, what depends where you ask, is, is someone say, is it not worth paying? Yes, it's worth paying if it does all those things you say. If it makes you, if you can sleep at night and it gets you in the market and you are going to compound more wealth and not doing it, then yes, of course, it's absolutely worth it. Uh, I have no issue with people who choose to do, to, to invest, um, I, will, I will say so-called ethically, I don't mean that directed at you, but in general, um, I have absolutely no, no dramas that. If you, you know, there are businesses I own and don't own, there are businesses you own and don't own. If you want to apply an ethical filter, go for it. I have no problem with you doing that at all. My, my challenge is that I would argue your 0.59% is making a fund manager rich, paying for some analysts, and I'm sure they appreciate the, the business, um, but it's not making a single skerrick of difference to the environment in your case or the world in terms of, uh, you, you mentioned destroying the environment, paying people too little. If you sell BA, if you don't own Rio, but I do, I don't, by the way, but if I did, Rio would still have destroyed Duke and Gorge because they're Rio and that's what they did, uh, regardless of who owned it, right? So you could feel good that you don't own it when it happens. You feel good about not owning Exxon, uh, the oil company, and that's fine. But they'll do what they're going to do anyway, no matter who owns it. And so you're paying 0.59% to have no impact. <laughs> and I don't say that as, as a criticism at all, um, or even, even to be a smart aleck. Um, but the, the reality is the same number of Exxon shares exist no matter who holds them. You can, I don't mind you not own them. My, my biggest issue is that I think a whole lot of ethical funds are making a whole lot of money from people who are, and maybe even that money is not even extortionate. Maybe it's not even greenwashing. Maybe, I don't know what fund it is, by the way, which is nice. So I, can't be, I can't be sued for libel. Um, uh, maybe maybe the, the fees are reasonable in the, sense, in the sense that they put a whole lot of work and they spend hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars in analysts' um, time, effort, energy to, to go and find those companies. So I'm not even saying it's necessarily the company themselves are profiteering. They possibly are. Maybe they are. They probably are, but they may not be. Um, my argument is simply that you're paying 0.59% to actually not make a difference at all. If you want to pay 0.59 to make a difference, an actual difference, then I'd say go for it. Um, so look, if you, but, but to your very, very clear question, Matt, if you can sleep at night, if you don't want to own those companies and you're happy to pay 0.6%, then go for it, for sure. No, I have no issue if you choose to, as long as you do it with your eyes open. My only argument the whole way through has been you could buy... Uh, you can invest in an ETF for 0.04% or 0.1%, so effectively dropping your fees by somewhere between 10 and 15 times, um, five or 10 times, just by, by simply saying, um, I, I know that I own those companies and if I don't, someone else is going to anyway. And so that's just the, the market that I'm in. That's the scenario that I'm in. You're paying a fee to sleep at night. And again, that's fine. Uh, but just know that you know you're not you're not making an actual impact. You're not changing anything, in my view. Andrew has a slightly different view. And I'll let him have his say. Um, I reckon you're changing a single thing by doing it. So, but if you want to, like again, I'm not. I won't criticise you for it. I have I have a criticism reserved for other people, including the funds that <laughs> charge too much. But if you, uh, by the way, and I own. I've said before, shares in Australian Ethical Investments, the company, because I think people like you will do that, Matt. And I, I appreciate you want to. And does that make me hypocritical? Not really, because I'm happy to say both at the same time. I don't think you should, but I know people are going to. And I'm happy to own the business that, that makes money from those people. Um, but but the reality is it just makes like literally zero difference at an ETF level in particular, in my view. Um, so I don't, I don't think it's worth paying. I wouldn't pay the fees. I think you're reducing your returns unnecessarily because you're not getting anything for the extra money you're paying. Mm. That's, a, that's, that's pretty polemic for me, mate. What do you think? you want to uh, have a different view or, or moderate my view? Uh, look, it's just I, – I, I totally see where you're coming from. It, it doesn't change things uh, short term. It doesn't change things at all um, in, in, in a lot of ways. But mm. where it there, – there are – my argument is is that at, a, at enough – when it mm. becomes enough of a factor where it, for enough people – it has real-world implications on the multiples that companies trade at, and therefore their cost of capital. So there is a there is that cost. To, if if is, mm. there's a business that's entirely self-funded and never needs to pass the hat around amongst shareholders, then yeah, there's yeah. nothing that, that that you can really Literally do. Yeah. Yep. But but when you're a bit, and most businesses, well, a lot of businesses, yeah, probably most businesses mm. on mm. the ASX um, do raise money from the markets from time to time. And if, <laughs> if they've got a very low multiple because the market sees them as unpalatable for environmental, social governance reasons or whatever it happens to be, that's a real that's a real impost on them. And it also mm. In, mm. impacts other people's other capital allocation decisions from people who are making these big decisions who will avoid and favour certain things that so will play out over yep. time. I guess, I guess I would say it like this. It's sort of, let's say I just stop recycling my cardboard tomorrow. Yep. Does that make any difference to the climate? Like, mm. absolutely mm. not. It does nothing mm. if, if I decide or do or, or to not do it. 
But if enough of us do it, then it does have an impact. So it is a collective action problem to a degree. It is a problem that would take time to sort of manifest itself. But I, I, I... I think it's I, – I, I don't fault people for doing it, um, particularly yes, – and I've said before as well, I don't think it needs to be a compromise. I think if, if you're mm-hmm. paying a little bit extra but you're getting a better performance as a result of it, you oh, can totally. invest ethically yeah. and make a lot of good money, then yep. then then why not? Yep. So um, it's, a, it's just a personal choice. I guess it's easy to get into a debate with all of this stuff, but if there's a company that you don't like what they're doing, mm-hmm. um, don't invest in it. Um, and there's, I, I, don't think there's, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I agree. Uh, you know, can I can I just take the the cost of capital thing though? Uh, just because I want to be an argumentative so and so, I'll say bastard. Because I said bastard already. Uh, <laughs> I want to be an argumentative bastard. Um, let's say it increase the cost of capital, right? And let's say it decreases profitability. Does Exxon actually drill any less oil because the share price is half, or because their cost of capital goes up by twenty five percent? I guess my my argument is still that even if it changes the financial returns of the business, it's not like Exxon goes. Good point. We'll go into puppy farming instead. Like they're just, you know, they're just not going to. No. So, so my, my view is still that even if those metrics are right, and even if you get the the the, the kind of the Schadenfreude or the, the whatever you want to say, see, I oh, you bastard, suck it to you. Now your PE is half what it used to be. You bastard, you deserve it. So yeah, we're still going to drill as much oil. We're still going to burn as much coal. We're still going to, you know, like I, I think as long as we're my, viable, we're going to keep doing what we do. And right. So yeah. that's my, my, my general point. I, I think, and this is Matt. I, I know it's about investing the difference or giving the difference to charity. And right, it doesn't actually compound it. Um, but you know, frankly, if you want to, for example. I would, if it was me and I wanted to have an impact, I would pay 0.1 instead of 0.59 and then take the difference and donate to the charity. If you, if you want to give away the extra fees you're paying to Greenpeace or Worldwide Fund for Nature or I don't know what charities people like or don't like and what, what, who, who I'm setting off by mentioning individual charities. I assume they're both decent charities, but do, do your own thing. Um, I, and I, look, I honestly think, mate, Matt, if you've got any effort for this, I would seriously encourage you, like for all of my, my skepticism about investing, I would seriously encourage you, your point about recycling, Ram, be a conscious consumer. Like we can have a thousand times as much benefit. Go and buy the stuff that's made from recycled. You know, we buy recycled toilet paper at home, right? And it's more expensive, but we do it specifically because it's saving a bit of virgin forest. Go and shop at retailers who commit to using renewable energy at 100% for all of their stuff or who donate their food waste to, to charity or to, mm. you know, like there, there are really, really great... And banking, you mentioned um, cost of capital, Ram. Mm. The very best thing we can do, honestly, is campaign against our banks to say don't lend money to mm. people destroying the environment. That, that's, that's a million percent more effective. And again, I'm not saying it doesn't have to be either or. Um, I've got lots of energy for that sort of stuff. Like I, I'm, not a, I'm not an anti-climate change guy. I'm not a, uh, you know, well, I, I'm not someone who, you know, I wish it was true. I desperately wish if, if I thought anything investing worked, I would have my whole portfolio in it tomorrow, like literally tomorrow. Uh, if I think it could have an impact on, on particularly the environment, but all other things like, you know, as you say, uh, Matt, things like um, uh, wages and other things, I think if we could do it, we should. Uh, I think our value as conscious consumers is just phenomenally huge. Bigger than most people expect, even to your point, Ram, doesn't take that many bank customers who say, hey, Westpac, stick it up your jumper if you're going to fund logging. Mm. And guess what? G- guns, the timber mill, mm. went broke in Tasmania because all the banks said, oh, we're not touching that. That's too tight. That's too mm. hot. That works. It works really, really, really well. I just think it still works in the, in the other way as well. If, 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 again, people who are allocating vast sums of capital are looking at it just saying, jeez, mm. Christ, we can't really raise much money over in this space over here. Mm, mm, mm. Here's another space that people feel really good about. It's much sort of yep. cheaper to do and much more productive. And it, 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 yeah, you, it just over time, I think, at a scale mm. where there's enough people thinking about it and it has real world impacts. Yeah, Exxon's going to keep doing what it's going to do, but maybe the next startup. <laughs> is maybe not going to go into oil recognising the yeah, higher costs yeah. of capital and the, all of that other kind of stuff. So it's, yep. you know, it's, it's one of those things. If, if, if you were sitting here saying, look, here's your choice, Andrew, make 10% a year but not worry mm-hmm. about ethical investing or, mm-hmm. or make 8% a year and worry about it, that's a mm-hmm. that's a more difficult question, but yeah. if you can, but if I could say, as I said before, if I can make ten percent a year and still do good, then why not? That's that's a, that's a oh, that's totally. a cost free way of doing something good that makes you feel good. So I'm I'm all for it. There you go, Motley Fool Money. For more, subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. A question from Rita, mate. Hi, Scott and Andrew. I've been enjoying your recent and back catalogue of podcasts during my daily lockdown walks in Victoria. Man, I wish we, uh, I wish we could get you because you wanted to listen to us, Rita, not just because, not just because you're locked down. But I'm glad we can accompany you at least keep you, uh, at least keep you occupied and, and entertained. I am no stranger to stock market plunges, but I'm grateful to you, Scott, for your weekly emails during last year's pandemic correction, urging readers to stay the course or invest more if we had the means, which my husband and I did. Nice work. 
Nevertheless, she says, it's alarming to see stock prices continue to drop further over months and years as we experienced in 20, uh, 2001, 2007 and beyond. Different question. My question to you relates to the fairness of franking credits, which still divides many people. As per an article by John Kalkman on the fairness of franking credits in First Links. I won't go into the link. There's a link there if you want to look. Just search John Kalkman, K-A-L-K-M-A-N, uh, on the fairness of franking credits in First Links of August 26. In light of the large numbers of young people who have taken to stock market investing in the last 17 months, do you personally believe that franking credits are fair and should be refunded to people on tax-free incomes, man, e.g. retirees and SMSFs, or some stay-at-home parents, students, etc., who receive no welfare, but maybe financially supported by a partner or parents? There you go. The mm. uh, question was for me, Andrew. I'm going to ask you to answer it first. Are, are franking credit refunds fair? Um, I think... <laughs> I think they are. I think the latest, I think the uh, ability to claim back excess ones maybe is a little bit of a bridge too far. But the, the all, look, let's, let's, let's pan right out here. All it's doing is actually a very fair system and it just says we're not going to double tax the same source of income. So if a company right. makes money and pays tax on that and then distributes it to you as an owner, having already had 30% tax taken out, it just says, will you pay the difference? And I think that's actually pretty fair. That we do the, we do the same kind of thing elsewhere. So it's not yeah. it's yeah. not it's not something that's unique to shares. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's just a very favourable thing. I think it's a positive structural thing for the economy. Mm-hmm. Claiming it back, I get the argument as to why you should be able to, because again, you've overpaid. Well, the entity mm-hmm. that you own mm-hmm. has overpaid, and yep. it's what of getting a, a little thing back. I guess I guess where I I, I find it less palatable is that just genuinely when you when you look at it pragmatically it's like well the people who are this is really meaningful for are people who are generally pretty wealthy and are we as a system giving uh tax advantages to people who are probably the least likely to need them exactly (laughs) yeah but in terms of in terms of putting that stuff aside in terms of Mm -hmm. just the accounting of the system i think it's Mm -hmm. fair um, giving giving additional benefits to the wealthy that others don't get to participate in is probably less so. Nice, I like it, mate. Um, I'm going to direct Rita and anyone who wants to listen. This is this is dating. It's dated, but it's also still current. Um, there's an article I wrote called "Why Bill Shorten." Remember him as leader of the opposition? Why Bill Shorten is right and wrong on dividends. I think I called him. I made Frankie. Let me double check that while I while I do it. Um, so I I completely agree with you, Andrew. Um, I. With with a little bit of a, a different um, different angle, I so to your point, here's here's the thing: if you line up three people, right, someone who gets cash, who's got cash in the bank, and gets interest; someone who owns an investment property and gets rent; and someone who owns shares in a company and gets dividends. Mm. Each of those three people get a thousand dollars a year from their from their investment assets. Mm-hmm. Um, the thousand dollars you get from bank interest, you got to have a you know squillion dollars to get a thousand dollars these days in bank interest. But let's mm. assume it's possible. Uh, gets a thousand dollars and pays tax at their marginal rate. Let's say their marginal rate for the fun of it is thirty percent. Mm-hmm. Right, so they they get the thousand dollars and they pay their thirty bucks or three hundred bucks, sorry, and they get seven hundred bucks left over. The person who owns a rental property does exactly the same thing: thousand dollars in rent, thirty bucks, seventy bucks left, seven hundred bucks left over. The person who gets the money from dividends is getting a thousand dollars, but that thousand dollars already had tax paid on it by the company. In fact, that was probably closer to fourteen hundred bucks that the company earned. That it paid thirty percent tax on there was a thousand dollars left over, and then they come, then the shareholder would have to pay another thirty percent on top of that, meaning that when they get their seven hundred bucks after that, there's effectively been a fifty percent tax levied on the profits made by the company, mm. and so that is why franking credits were introduced. And by the way, by a by a Labor Prime Minister or Treasurer anyway, Hawke and Keating, uh, way back in the day, because it is double taxation, right? It effectively, if you if rather than a thousand dollars of dividends, if a company earned a thousand dollars in profit. He pays a tax of 700 bucks. That's all you get as a shareholder. Mm. And then you pay tax on that. And you think, oh, well, how is it fair that income is taxed once from interest, it's taxed once from rent, but it's taxed twice when it comes to company profits. Mm. And that's, that's why I think the franking system is, is particularly fair. I think it's appropriate. Um, the reality is a company is just a holding structure. Um, the other way to look at it is if you own the assets yourselves directly, you wouldn't pay a higher tax rate just because you said PTYLTD at the end of the name of the, of the business. Mm. If I, or, or conversely, if I own a rental property, in a company name, I have to and I paid tax twice on it, but it's only it personally. It, it, it shows you the the, the 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 silliness of having to pay tax twice just because there's PTYLTD at the end of the company, mm. and that's for me why I think franking is really really fair. I actually also think, by the way, that franking refunds are entirely fair and entirely appropriate. But 
and this is why I said Shorten is right and wrong on dividends. Um, he is what he was identifying was the fact that, for example, if you're in super, if you get if you've got BHP shares and they pay the thirty percent tax, and your tax rate is zero, you get a refund for all the tax BHP's paid. So effectively, BHP and you, between the two of you, pay no tax mm. on that profit. Commonwealth Bank would pay no tax on that profit. If Woolies was owned entirely by people in super funds, Woolies would never pay a cent in corporate tax. And I don't think anyone thinks that's fair, particularly if, as you say, Ram, that the, the, the super fund members are squillionaires. Yeah. What I would do absolutely and do it tomorrow is um, I would absolutely, I would change the taxation of super and retirement incomes to be progressive rather than a flat rate of zero or 15% in percent. yep. So I think the, I think that's why I say is right and wrong. Bill Shorten was right to say this is not sustainable. Uh, and I, by the way, I, I don't, I don't say he's right or wrong across the board, or, or that uh, you know I would have voted for him, or not voted for him. It's not a political thing. The policy they, they identified the right problem. That the solution was, uh, I think, a terrible solution. I think they got hung with their own, uh, hoist with their own petard trying to do it because the issue was never about franking. The issue was because here's the thing: if I if I'm on welfare hmm. and I get a dollar in interest or a dollar in rent or a dollar in dividends. Why should I pay more on it just because it's shares rather than, rather than rent? It mm. makes zero sense, mm. right? Now, if you're on welfare, you're probably not going to get that, but just to use an extreme example. Equally, if I'm in super, should I, should I get, you know, frank credits free and, and rent free and, in, and interest cash um, income free, interest free? No, of course I shouldn't. I should pay because I've got a squillion dollars in super. I should be paying more than 0% just because inside super and, and that does absolutely dilute the system and it, and it frankly perverts the system. It's so, a perversion of the system. Yeah, it is. is, totally is, totally it, is. The, whole, totally the, whole, the whole structure was set up to enable yep. people to very effectively save for their retirement. It wasn't set Correct. up as a tax haven for the rich. Correct. And Correct. that's, you know, but if, you know, <laughs> it's kind of what the, the way you do it though, right? So it's, it's yep. sort of, yeah, perversion is the right word. Yeah, so yeah, the, the article is called Why Bill Shorten is Wrong and Right on Dividends. Uh, I wrote it on March 16, 2018. It's now three years old, but um, the, the, it, it actually goes through the, the theory of why I think it's wrong and the and the solution I would suggest, which is progressive taxation of super, um, over over you know, higher than the pensions and not, not the personal income tax rates. Go above su- the pension because there's got to be some incentive for saving and putting money aside and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, but dude, um, when you've but, got $20 million, you don't need any further incentive to- I think I think it's aside. reasonable to you tax know? that. At a, at, yeah, and, and taxing it at zero because it happens to be called super is, as you say, a perversion. Super. Let's move on. We've done enough of that. Hi, Scott. Can you please tell me how you calculate the dividend yield in your recommendations? All right. We're not going to go on a lot of this because this is very specific. Uh, but he basically wants to, this is from Patricia, she wants to go into basically how it should be calculated. And, and Patricia talks about to calculate the yield on your capital at the time you invested, I think you would need to take the dividend per share, yep, divided by the value of shares on the day of purchase, which I think is also right. Mm. So she says GPT price today, $4.76, dividend per share is 13.3 cents. Therefore, do the maths, 2.8%. Absolutely right. And then she says, whereas on the Comsec website using their formula, it shows the yield is 4.9%, which is quite misleading if one is trying to get the best return on investment. I look forward to your comments. Kind regards, Patricia. So lots of, lots of details, mate, lots of questions, but let's, let's break it down. Uh, there is very different ways of thinking about dividend yield. Yeah. First one I want to talk to you about, I suppose, is do you take uh, the forward yield, the, the previous yield, or as Comsec does, Blend the two. I don't overthink it. Um, cool. It, it, look, for, for most companies, there's not going to be a material material gain. It's not like it's going to go from, you know, right, 40 right. cent payout one year to $3.80 the next year. So, so, <laughs> yeah. So it, it, generally yeah. it's not going to be a difference. But I, I so here's, here's, here's the trade-off. Mm-hmm. There's always a trade-off. <laughs> Forward-looking yields are much more appropriate because I don't get mm-hmm. last year's dividend. If I buy today, yeah, I only right. get future dividends. So whoever, what, yeah. what using last year's dividend is just completely irrelevant. Yeah. Um, so it's got that advantage if you're looking forward. The trouble is when you're looking forward, all of a sudden you're dealing with a, a guess. Uh, you might <laughs> want to call it a forecast because it yeah. makes you sound smarter, but you, you, you're totally dealing with a guess. <laughs> now, right. on the flip side, historical, 100% yeah. mathematically a- a- accurate. You can't argue. This is what yeah. happened. This yeah. is the dividend yeah. they paid. Um, but there's no guarantee that that dividend will be paid again. In fact, if ever you see a very unusual yield on the market, you'll actually, if you're talking about doing scans before, if you do a scan for a dividend yield more than 10%, you'll actually find a bunch of results. Would yeah. you as an investor be reasonable in expecting a 10% yield for those investments? No, you wouldn't be yeah. because yeah. the market's not that dumb where it's going to leave a 10% yield just sitting there in plain sight with no, no one interested mm-hmm. in doing it. It's because no one expects the dividend to be maintained and therefore it's yeah. a spurious kind of 
quantitative yield figure. Yep. So I think what you want to try and do is just sort of look through all of that. And the question you need to really be asking is what's about the kind of dividend that I think these guys are able to pay and roughly what kind of growth can I expect in that dividend and keep it and, and base base your calculations on that. Love it, mate. Great grants. I can't add much to that. Um, what, Patricia, one thing you may have done is potentially use the last dividend rather than the last 12 months of dividends. So I don't know in the example of GPT, but my guess is if you took the last dividend, so remember companies pay dividends twice a year. And if someone said to you, hey, how much do you earn? And you said, oh, I earned five grand because I got paid five grand last month. It, they said, well, but how much do you earn per year? What, what's the total amount on some sort of rolling basis? Because we're looking at a, when you do a, a, any dividend or any interest income, anything else, those little two letters after the percentage are per annum. And so you want to be comparing apples for apples. Yeah, that so is, I, that, I is can make, confirm that it is just the interim dividend. There you go. So that, that might be the other thing, Patricia, is make sure you grab both of those, add them together. Um, it's a very good chance if you add the GPT together, it probably is closer to 4.9% for that reason. So um, I don't think it is misleading because, well, unless you're looking for a six-month yield, but then you've got to recognise they're all lower than that. And again, we're all conditioned. And I think it's, re- I mean, it's, there's, no, there's no reason to say we have to look at income on a yearly basis. A trip around the sun doesn't mean anything, um, but it just helps us give a, get, get a common basis for those conversations. We do interest uh, in the bank per annum, uh, rental yields calculated generally per annum. Uh, so I think I think it's a reasonable basis. So make sure you add them both together and then do the maths. Comsec's website does tend to blend the past and the future estimates together where they've got estimates from a, another analyst or something else. Be a little bit careful with that because the analyst could simply be wrong. Um, but as Andrew said, there's, a, there's, there's no perfect solution because you don't get the last dividend and it might be it might be great, it might be very useless or it might be somewhere in between. A bank's are a great example, by the way. The banks over the last 12 months actually had their dividends cut because of APRA said they had to. So it's very likely the future dividends for the banks are actually larger than the trailing dividends because they now get to pay out full dividends again. Um, so that's one example you might want to be careful you don't overdo it. On the flip side, plenty of retailers and plenty of Fortescue paid a 10% dividend. Actually, I, I, this blows my did. mind, right? Yeah, yeah, 10% yeah. dividend like a week ago, yeah. two weeks ago, because um, it made a squillion dollars because iron ore was 220 bucks a ton. Yeah. Now it's 130 bucks a ton now. So guess what? That dividend is absolutely not sustainable. Mm. Uh, but they paid it out because they should, and that's right. Uh, so just be just be a little bit cautious on that one. Uh, one thing I'll have, it's not not the question, but related to it is mm-hmm. I've heard people before say, "Oh yes, I know that the if I you know look up the yield of Commonwealth Bank, it says three point six percent, but you know that's because shares are at hundred bucks. I bought shares at fifty bucks, so yeah. my yield is seven point two percent. So I just take the dividend that that I got, or I'm expecting mm-hmm. to get, and divide it not by the last traded price. I divide it by my price because that's yeah. the yield that's relevant to me. Which mm-hmm. kind of sounds pretty reasonable, but I think doesn't it? It does. <laughs> and I, I remember, I remember long ago, I was making that argument. I said, "Well, that's what matters mm-hmm. to me. That's my yield." And it's, it's really, yield, yep. it's really, it's really not appropriate because. Regardless of what you bought your shares for, the fact is the Commonwealth Bank shares today, the market's happy to buy them mm-hmm. for 100 bucks off you. And yep. you could press a button and turn that into cash and press another button and turn it yes. into gold or crypto or a million other kind of things. You have $100. Now, yep. is, it, is it in monetary form? No, it's in equity form. But that's, that's yep. what you've got. And the yield that you're getting on the equity that you're, the, the capital that you've got is 3.6%. A lot of bad investment decisions get made by people anchoring to their purchase price. In fact, banks are a great example here where mm. I've spoken to a lot of people in the past. They'll, they'll make a comment like, Oh, I don't really care if it goes back to, you know, falls 20% because I only paid mm. this much for it. As mm. if you haven't you haven't <laughs> yeah, lost right. money. It's exactly. like, well, you know, exactly. you, you actually have because, you know, a week ago it was worth X and now it's worth yep. Y. You, you've you've yep. lost it. You haven't realised it, you haven't crystallised it, but that is, it just, it leads to very foggy thinking, I think, when you do that. So the yield is always appropriately calculated on the most recent price. It's, it's a great example, mate, because I think, you know, I, I often I often use that, uh, not that it's, don't go back into property, but it's useful to think about housing. So I, I've used the example for on, on that kind of, I don't care if it, the price falls. Yeah. You say, okay, well, let's say you bought a house for $500,000. Let's say it's worth $1.2 million today, mm. right? And you say, oh, I don't really care if it falls back to $100 million. I, I don't want that money anyway. Mm. So hang on, you, if you're going to sell a house, would you rather not have $1.2 than one? Yeah, of course I would. Mm. And would you be unhappy if you knew in advance that it was going to happen and you chose not to? Yeah, of course I would. Yeah. So that's the point, right? The house is not worth half a million dollars. It's worth 1.2 now. Mm. What comes next matters because you could cash out, as you say, go to cash. Reinvest that money anywhere Yep. and, and have it. Um, the flip side is if, if you're happy to, with the running yield, then I assure you, you're happy, you're happy to have 50 bucks for your Commonwealth Bank shares, are you? No, I want the 100 bucks. Well, exactly. Mm. That's the point. So yeah, yeah. yeah you, make a, you make a very good point, mate. Very well said. Cool. Let's go. Oh, no. 
<clears throat> G'day, Phils. I have another inflation question for Andrew. Oh, no. Haha, <laughs> just kidding. Oh, Just for Rick. <laughs> My question today relates to the investing psychology and the feeling of making up for lost time. This is something I grapple with as my wife and I would like the option to retire at 60. For some context, I am 45. I started investing in my early 20s. However, investing was soon put on hold as I got married, had kids, bought a home, chose to forgo a dual income, took the private school route, etc. Whilst we made choices that were not financially optimal, I wouldn't change a thing if I could do it all again. I love that. However, during those 20 years of mostly sitting on the sidelines, the market has had some great returns and possibly pulled forward some future returns. My future returns, he says, <laughs> meant to make me rich. I say this in jest, but it is something I think about a lot. So my question, is worrying about depressed future returns and the feeling of making up for lost time a good or a bad thing? Should I embrace the feeling to drive me towards future goals or am I framing this in a potentially negative light? I love this question. I love psychology questions. Mm. Full on from Rick. What do you reckon, mate? Yeah, I think it does. I do, I do think you don't want to think about that kind of stuff. I do think okay. you don't want Yeah, so I said that right. Um, <laughs> it, 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 you don't want to think about that stuff. Is that what you're you saying? don't, thank you. <laughs> <There we laughs> Double <go>. negatives. <laughs> um, yeah, you, you don't want to think about that stuff. I mean, yeah, you, 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 you always have to have an eye on future expected mm. return. That's mm. what we're in the business of doing is trying to pick yeah. something that has a, yeah. an attractive future investment return. Yeah. Um, uh, but you're never going to know what it is. And as we were just sort of hinting at before, everything comes back to opportunity cost as well. So it's a question of where's mm. the best mm. kind of return I, I get. Do I want to accelerate or, or more strictly speaking, um, increase my risk to try and achieve it sooner and make up for, for lost return? Definitely not. Mm, um, mm. The, the quickest way to get poor is to try and get rich quick. Um, yeah. so, exactly. You know, so it's, 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 kind of, yeah. it's, it's kind of, I totally get the sentiment. Um, but as we've talked about again and again and again, the future is so unknowable and exactly how it's going to pay out that the, you might be right, you might be wrong, but in all cases, investing in very high-quality equities is probably going to do you very well. <laughs> Maybe not as well as it would have in a parallel universe where you know global pandemic number two and asteroid strike didn't happen <laughs> or something like that. But it's still <laughs> relatively, it's always going to be pretty attractive. And yeah. unfortunately, anything you try and do to to accelerate things is, is mm-hmm. more often than not, not always because it's a, it's a probabilistic thing, but more often yep. than not, it's going to be counterproductive. I think that's right. Although I'm going to make one slight exception. Uh, Rick, I absolutely agree with Andrew. Don't start trying to chase. Uh, there's a reason that throwing good money after bad is a cliche, right? Mm-hmm. Cliches are cliches because they're true. That's that, That's the point, right? They're, they're not cliches because they're never true. No one believes them, but people say them a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, people say them a lot because they tend to be true. Not always, but, but tend to be true. Throwing good money after bad is a bad idea. Trying to chase returns, taking more risk, you know, like a, there's a continuum between cash and number eight in the fifth at Randwick, mm. right? And, and and on that on that continuum, uh, the, the the more desperate you are to try and make up for lost time, effectively what you're saying is, should I take more risk and hope it works? Um, if you're if you end up being right, you say, see, I told you. If you end up being wrong, then you're going to work to seventy rather than sixty. And mate, can I say, um, when you come down to that sort of question, if you have to retire at sixty two rather than sixty. Then excuse me, take the option. If you've got to retire at 65 rather than 60, take the option. Um, I know no one wants to work the extra five years. I get it. Uh, but if you've got to work to 75 because you took some risks to try and retire at 60 and got it wrong, that is just brutal. And you can't make up for lost time. One of the things – so let's say you've got 15 years of compounding left before you retire. If you get it wrong and then in three years' time, you've now got 12 years left. And the way compounding works, mm. you may actually halve the amount of money you have. If you've only got 12 years rather than 15 – because money doubles every seven years if you average the market return, that three years you miss out on is half a double. As so you start to think about what that might look like in, in dollar terms, um, you know, you, you're going you're gonna to potentially have really meaningfully less money, depending on how much you're starting with and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, Ram's absolutely right. With one exception. Uh, and that is, I would, if you can, to the extent you can, you may not have the, the potential, use that to motivate your saving, not your investing. Yeah. So, yeah. save twice as much. Or 50% more, or 20% more, or $5 more a week. If you, want to, if you want to make up for lost time, do it in saving dollars and the investing dollars go with it. But don't do it in terms of how you invest that cash, right? Invest sensibly, invest properly, invest for the long term. Uh, you're better off getting 80% of your goal than 0% of your goal because you, you go too hard. Um, you know, like any, any, any mechanical device, the harder you run it, you get increased returns for a little bit of time. You can run a machine 110% of capacity for a couple of weeks and then it breaks down. You spend three months fixing it. Um, don't do that. So, uh, again, I can't tell you what you should do. Okay, you have personal advice. So when I say don't do that, I mean no one should do that. 
but you get the you get the drift. Mm. Um, it's a it's a tough one. Don't do it. Question from Greg, mate. This is a this is a pointed question. This is this is one that uh, he's got a. I think it's part question, part statement. My message for Scott's podcast is: <laughs> he starts. I'd like to know how much influence the Motley Fool has on the market. It appears to be quite a bit. My shares in Dicker Data dropped almost twenty percent over two days, spending last Friday to Monday this week. The ex-dividend wasn't a factor since the announcement came after that. And there seemed to be nothing else other than the fact there were at least three of your services recommended to sell or reduce. It's not often that Motleyfield give sell or hold recommendations, so this seems significant and the market seemed to react. I'm not worried. Dicker Data has been one of my very best investments. And even this financial year, it's up about 18%. There's no way I'm selling yet just because there seems to be a mass exodus. It reminds me of integrated research a few years ago. I held on for some time after the sell recommendation and was the better for it. I just noticed Dicker is up 5% today. I know it's all about fear and greed and to avoid the noise, but if my suspicions are right, there's a lot of Motley Fool investors out there behaving irrationally. That's from Greg. Mate, do you have any views or do you want me to start take this one straight down the line? Well, it's one of those things that we're starting to even notice that with. I mean, you guys are much bigger than us, but some of the small cap stocks, we, we can move around just because enough mm. people act at the same time. Mm. Um, and it's a possibility. It, it, yeah. It's just so counterproductive, though. It's just like it's, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's an right. equivalent of a whole bunch of people standing around and shooting themselves in the foot, like <laughs> rushing for the door or, uh, or the right. um, you know the exit that's or the right. entrance, all at the, all at the yep. same time. Yep. Yep. And I know, having worked with you guys, where there was always lots of disclaimers. Please don't don't do this. Mm-hmm. It's not in your interest. Mm-hmm. It becomes. It, it's actually if anyone who's into game theory, it's a phenomenally fascinating exercise in, really game, in game theory um, yeah. because it's sort of it's one of those things well it, yeah, it doesn't make any sense but if I'm the first to act then it actually does That's make right. sense so so people try right. to sort of front run things it just leads to very poor out, mm. Uh, mm. Uh, 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 outcomes for, for people mm. but what's interesting is because we've been doing this for so long mate with you with other people mm. with myself mm. is that it just never it, it's never even when there are things you can say oh that was definitely a Motley Fool recommendation <laughs> it was very noteworthy on the day pan, panned out and looked at it over any time frame. It's a blip on the radar. There's just no way that, yeah. and this is no insult to you guys, there's just, there's just no way that you're going to have any material influence Correct. over a share Correct. price over a long period yeah. of time yeah. by giving the most harsh criticism or the most glowing praise because that stuff is very, 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 very transient. So mm-hmm. um, I don't know. You, you, you'd know better than me though. Do you, do, you, do you think you guys have a material and lasting impact on prices? I don't, it doesn't look like it. Um, sometimes, and no, in order. Uh, sometimes we have a an impact on the price. Material is an open question. Um, what I what I would say is, um, so the, the challenge is that so some of let's break it back. One of the services went to hold. One of the services didn't change at all. One of the services went to sell, uh, and that's three. It might have been a fourth one. Um, so that there's there's different views across the across the full universe on the company in the first place. Second thing I would say is when he talks about last Friday, it was the day after the company's financial results were released. Mm. And so it's not, you know, is it, right. is, it, is it at the same time? Yes. Could it have been related? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Mm. Very, very possible that a whole lot of Motley Fool subscribers decided to get out at the same time. Very possible. But it's the day after the results. And so to some degree, trying to separate out what did we do versus every other broker and every other research house, and every other fund manager after results were released um, and they were released during the day before. The day before, uh, I, you know, so for the two days after that, shares fell. Okay, um, make of that what you want. I, I, I have no view on on because you can't know, right? You can't know. Yeah. Is is it coincidental? Sorry, is it correlated? Yes, absolutely. Is it is it you know uh, causal? I don't know. I literally can't tell you. We've had some impacts. We we reckon at NIB way back in the day, shares jumped to the point it was on the front page of the AFR. It was up eight percent, but it was unusual, and it was because it was thinly traded. And frankly, as a result of that, we started recommending larger companies because we wanted to make sure we didn't cause these sorts of problems. So we do our best with language, as you say, mate, and also the companies we choose. We try and be mindful of the impact we can have if we do it. Um, so yeah, absolutely. Is it possible? Yes. Is it probable? Maybe yes. I, I, I don't know. I, I mean, the number of members times the number of shares they own times the number who took a decision to make a sell. I mean, you didn't, Greg. So you know, maybe some held as well. Um, this one is probably a really 
I'll say a bad example. I don't mean that as a criticism of you. Um, but I think it's, it's a tough example because literally results were out the day before. Mm. So it's kind of like, you know, if you look at the whole market of activity based on a very, very significantly market sensitive <laughs> announcement and a bit of information and say, well, the Motley Fool sold. For all I know, Goldman Sachs might have sold a massive stake on behalf of some pension fund in the US, right? It could have been five times the size of the impact on, that we had on the market, if any, or not. We might have been the entire, the entire impact. I just don't know. Mm. Yeah, don't. It just, it's just, it's one of those things that it's really, it, it just feels important. And this is not just a question yeah, of you guys. Just it happens all the time. Whether no, it's right. a short you're sell right. report yeah, or yeah. something, some some entity mm. will come out with an a, a, an mm. opinion that is is very influential and will drive things. Yeah, and yeah. it just it feels really important and big, but it just it never does. It's never lasting. It's sort of, and as I say, for a lot of the people that try to. Um, uh, game that in a way it can really explode in your face really badly yeah. too um, particularly some of these liquid stocks well I'm just going to buy before everyone else does <laughs> and people are buying at any kind of price and yeah. then yeah. but they, they, they fail to realise that you have the same kind of problem you've got to be early mm. and right on, on both the way in and the way out and yeah it can yeah. be very difficult for some stocks that might only trade ten or twenty thousand dollars worth a day. Only doesn't take a lot of people to really throw that around. You can find yourself trapped in a fairly illiquid stock at a very unappealing price because you tried to sort of game this thing. <laughs> and that's true. Actually. You know, I've just, I've just, if if there was any legitimacy to that sort of strategy, mm-hmm. I've I've not seen it work. <laughs> but by the way, if if you could have bought Woolies for two dollars and it jumped to two twenty on the on the day of the IPO, and now it's forty dollars. Uh, you tell me whether you'd rather have missed out or not. <laughs> I mean, would you rather buy for two than two twenty? Of course you would. But if you can get two twenty to forty, is that not more important than trying to get from two twenty to two thirty two and then sell, or you know, miss out because you paid too much for the stock? Um, it, it, yeah, if if we're half right most of the time, um, I said I said, I said this time team only last week. Um, we're talking about limited orders, and I said my personal view, both on my behalf and behalf of our members, is I would rather, if given the choice of two bad options, I'd rather members pay a little bit. If if we're right more often than not, and we tend to be, I'd rather pay a little bit more than not buy at all. Yep. You know, Warren Buffett said he lost six, I want to say $6 billion because he argued the price of Walmart shares and he missed out by an eighth of a cent or something yep. ridiculous, whatever it was. He said, I'm going to pay this. The seller said, no, I want that. Buffett said, no, get stuffed. And it was, he, he's called it a, a six, I think a $6 billion mistake um, because he could have, should have paid a little bit more for a business that was growing that's going to be worth a heap more in future mm. rather than nickel and diming the very, very last cent. It's so, just, it's yeah, ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I hate the, shit, the fact the prices move. We tell our members over and over again, please don't do it. And frankly, it's not just us. It's other people in the market as well. I have used a limit order maybe twice in my life. Uh, I will buy shares at a roughly decent value because I think they're going to be much worth much more in the future. Um, I can't remember not buying a share because it was 1101 rather than 1099 and I set myself a hard price of what I some maximum I would mm. otherwise pay. Mm. Um, just just go with it. I, I, I just I just yeah I, I really double down on that idea. It's yeah, just please. sort of like it, it is if if you like Dicker data. And mm-hmm. it's at thirteen oh eight. You know, whether you buy it at thirteen fifty twelve, in the fullness of time, yeah. is just yeah. so inconsequential. It, it, it yeah. makes no difference whatsoever. I'm with you, Matt. I don't. I don't place. I, I'll, I'll use limit orders when there are liquidity issues at play, mm-hmm. and I'm not in a rush. Uh, but but otherwise, you just put the bloody yeah. order through. It's not going to make any difference whatsoever. Um, it, it's it's really nickel and diming kind of things that that just yeah. shouldn't be shouldn't be part of your focus. There's no harm using limit order, by the way, but trying to do it and then missing out because you didn't get the price you wanted is just uh, look. If you're buying, if you're buying a, a, an infrastructure stock and the, the range of outcomes is tiny, and you want to get the absolute right price because the growth is going to be two percent a year, then price does matter a lot. Don't get me wrong. But if you're buying a company that's like a dicker, that you're not buying dicker for income, probably, and you're not buying it because you expect it to be this no growth stock, right? Greg, sounds like you like the company. I think it's great. I like the company too. Well, I'll give you a good example. Throw you guys a free pass. I remember being with the Fool years ago, and Matt and Joe ran the uh, Motley Fool Pro real life portfolio. And the trading rules were they had to release the next trade to all of the members. And almost always the price would go up because everyone piles into it. And then the fund itself had to buy. So it was, you know, it really sort of, I could, I could see Matt and Joe's um, the difficulty with that. It's just like, you know, it's just like, so we have to signal in advance what we're going to buy and as a result, pay a higher price for it. Um, but, but the fool did it because it was the right thing to do. Um, and you know what? The, the pro 
performed really, really well. Like, it, you know, it didn't make a difference. It didn't make a difference is my point. Um, would it have made a difference? Yeah, overall it would have at the edges, but, I mean, it's just it's not the main factor to to worry about. Generally right as opposed to specifically wrong is what counts. Good point. All right. Thank you for listening, Fools. We appreciate you spending some time with us, spending an hour or so in our company. We certainly enjoy doing the podcast for you. If you want more from Andrew, and you should, go to strawman.com, check out what Strawman has to offer. And of course, follow Andrew on the socials. Sage underscore Simeon is his Twitter handle. That's Sage, S-A-G-E underscore Simeon. Or at Strawman Invest. They're the two ways you can get hold of Andrew and of strawman.com. Or you can follow me on Twitter and Insta at TMF Scott P. Same handle for both. The Motley Fool's handle on both is the same, at The Motley Fool AU. You can jump on Facebook at um, slash Scott Phillips Money. The Motley Fool is slash The Motley Fool Australia. We have a YouTube channel. We have another podcast, The Good Oil with Scott Phillips. Uh, I would appreciate it if you wouldn't mind checking it out because it basically makes me feel better and uh, no one likes to have their podcast cancelled. So do me a favour if you wouldn't mind. Follow that particular podcast. <laughs> yeah, check it out. It's In the meantime, good. and until next Friday, full on. See you later. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. The Motley Fool operates under financial services licence 400691. Listener.